I did beat him the last time we played, but there was kind of an asterisk beside it. We were at an overnighter, and it was probably about five in the morning after staying up all night, and I saw that Pastor Josh was in a moment of weakness, and so I challenged him to one-on-one, and and then uh, I wouldn't give him a rematch after that, and uh, now he, he would still whoop me even with a, a bad knee today, but uh, it is a blessing to be here and always a blessing to be uh, here at LBC Xenia. Every time I come, the church seems to grow more and more. What a blessing that is to see and, and to see some uh, very many familiar faces, still folks still faithful, still serving, and then uh, a lot of new faces as well, and that's always a, a tremendous blessing. And uh, I'm flying solo uh, tonight, and my uh, family are, are at home. My wife is about 14 months pregnant uh, right now, and uh, in the next uh, few weeks, uh, our, our newest addition should be coming, which will give us uh, two boys and two girls, so a little girl on the way. We're excited if you would pray for her. So she's at home resting and with the, uh, the others as they're studying and doing their homework and, and things. Uh, tonight. But let's uh, take our our Bibles and go to the book of 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10. And I invite you, when you find your place there, to stand with me as we honor God's Word tonight. 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll begin in verse number 14. I'll read the text, pray, and then we'll kind of jump right into it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and beginning in verse number 14. 14. The Word of God says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles do sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. And verse number 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray. Lord, tonight I pray that you would, uh, you alone would receive the glory and the honor and the praise. Thank you for the beautiful songs that were sung. Thank you for the wonderful special by the ladies, and I pray now, uh, God, that you would be everything and you would be lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, I, I like I said, I am flying solo tonight, but I did bring something with me from home. Um, my youngest son, uh, this is a bit of his artwork from uh, kindergarten. Now, I know parents, like your kid's artwork is everything, other kid's artwork it, means nothing to you, right? And uh, But I did bring this, and this is from a little while ago, but uh, our kids, 
their school had a fine arts night, and uh, basically we get to come and we get to see all the artwork the kids did, and then there's a concert, and, and before the show starts, the parents walk the aisles or walk the halls, and, and they get to see all the different artwork that their kids have completed, and then at the end, the kids get to bring it home. So we made our way down the hallway and found the kindergartners, and we found little Joby's artwork, and... Uh, I'm a little biased, okay, because he's my son, but one particular project, they had to draw a penguin, and I saw his artwork, and I was just blown away by his penguin. I'll show it to you in just a second, but one thing about these projects is they judge them, and they actually vote for first, second, and third place out of the entire school. Now, when I saw Job's penguin, I was like, man, that's a... It's a kindergartner. It's a good penguin. Now, I have no artistic ability at all. Is anyone sort of like me, can't draw? I mean, yeah, stick people, that's about all you got, yeah. Now, my wife, she can draw, she can paint. She's very artistic, and so he must get it from her. But I saw his penguin, and I thought, man, I'm thinking to myself, he did a really, really good job for a kindergartner. And uh, then I got kind of curious. I started wondering, well, I wonder what first place penguin looks like. And I'm thinking this to myself, but I found the first place penguin, and I thought in my head, that's the first place penguin, that's what it looks like? And I thought, okay, I mean, maybe I could see it, but I think Joe's is better than the first place penguin. And I thought, well, let me see what second place looks like. And then I thought, wait a second, I know his is better than that one. That's probably the, the teacher's kid, that's whose who's that is right there. And I saw third place, and I was like, this is rigged. I mean, there, he, he got robbed. He should have won this. Now, let me show it to you, okay? I'll take it easy. He's just in kindergarten, just a five-year-old, all right? I know. That's a good penguin, isn't it? Yeah, you don't have to clap for him. He's not here, Okay. I'll tell him later, but so this belongs to him. Now, I kind of walked away, and my wife came, and she said, hey, come on, we got to go, and then I was walking away. I was like, check out Job's penguin. She's like, wow, that's really good, and then as I'm walking away, I even made a comment like, I'm surprised he didn't get a ribbon. A few weeks go by, the kids bring home their artwork, and I'm sure you do this too, we are refrigerator is filled with our kids' drawings and artwork, and so we throw up the penguin. I'm putting this penguin on the fridge, and a little time goes by, and I'm walking past it. It catches my eye, and I remembered I hadn't said anything to Job about it yet, and so I say, Job, I just want to let you know, you did a really, really good job on this penguin. I'm proud of your artwork. You did a good job, and then my five-year-old says, uh, I didn't draw that penguin. I was like, what do you mean you didn't draw the penguin? He said, I was sick that day. The art teacher drew that penguin. <laughs> so I have some random art teacher's penguin sitting on my fridge for a few weeks. I yank it down, and I'm like, oh, well, no wonder you didn't win, right? But I was justified because I thought, that's, a, that's an adult's penguin right there. It was really good. It should have won if it was in the competition. I took it down from the fridge. I'm like, get that off the fridge, son. And I thought, man, isn't, isn't this sort of who we are? We always kind of think a little bit higher of ourselves than we ought to and uh, a little, little more of ourselves than we ought to. And we typically kind of give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, don't we? 
Now, here's what I want to ask you to do tonight. I'm going to focus on the topic of idolatry this evening, and specifically family idols. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you don't give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Because all families and all homes struggle with idolatry. Tonight, rather than chipping away at multiple verses, I'd kind of prefer just to take one verse and hit it with a sledgehammer and see how much we can glean out of it from this vital command. Flee from idolatry. Now, the theme of the revival, as Pastor Josh has mentioned, is standing in a falling world. And Pastor Ryan touched on the church standing in a falling world. And I've been given the focus of the family standing in a falling world. And I love that theme. But every church is made up of families. So if the church is going to stand, then the families must stand, right? And here's my thought for tonight. If the family will stand, then the idols must fall. If the family will stand, then the idols must fall. Uh, Many in this room, I would assume, are familiar with the, the amazing story of Gideon in the Old Testament and the great victory God gave him over the Midianite army with only 300 soldiers. I'm sure you've heard that story before. What is less familiar to us is what happened in the chapter leading up to that great victory. You see, before the Lord ever gave Gideon the victory over the Midianite army, he commanded Gideon to do something. In Judges chapter 6 and verse number 25, we see this command. It says this, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, And throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. You see, before the Lord ever used Gideon to conquer and defeat the Midianites, he said, Gideon, before you do that, you must throw down your father's, your family's altar. We're also familiar with the story of Jacob, the great patriarch of Israel, that God promised Jacob, you will no longer be called Jacob, but your new name will be Israel. But before the Lord reaffirmed that covenant with him and gave him his new name, Jacob did something in the same chapter. In Genesis chapter 35, verse number 2, it tells us what Jacob did before the Lord says, your name will be Israel. Then Jacob said unto his household, his family, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Before the Lord gave him the new name of Israel, Jacob said, let us put away the gods that are among us. Joshua chapter 24 records probably the most famous and most well-known verse on the topic of the family in all of Scripture. It's a verse that you probably have memorized. Maybe even the iconic phrase in the verse is up on your wall somewhere in your home right now. The verse says, but as for me and my house, finish it with me, we will serve the Lord. Now, we all are familiar with that verse, but we often forget the verse that came before it. 
In Joshua 24, verse 14, here's what it reads. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. You see, before Joshua could ever say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he first said, let us put away the strange gods that are among us. See, if you ever expect your family to stand, then the idols must fall. You see, we all want the victories that we read about in Scripture, but are we willing to throw down the altar of Baal? We want to be used by God as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. But will we put away the strange gods that are among us? We want to be able to say, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But are we also willing to say, we forsake the gods of our fathers? God alone deserves the worship of our life and our family. It's been said that every one of us, even from our mother's womb, are master craftsmen of idols. In the opening passage that I read, in that particular chapter, Paul had just reminded the Corinthian church a few verses earlier about Israel. Israel, who are God's chosen people, blessed beyond belief, and yet they fell into the sin of idolatry. And they paid a high price for their sin. And in light of that, Paul has one conclusion. He says, flee. Flee. Flee from idolatry. Don't flirt with it. Don't think you can handle it. You think that you'll stand and you will fall. You see, some Christians are what you might call edge Christian. They see how close they can come to sin without actually falling over. But there is nowhere in the Bible that you'll find that tells us to see how close we can come to wrong and still be right. You see, Paul says the opposite. He says, run away. Flee. God says, flee. And tonight, in our time together, I want to highlight four truths that every family ought to know about the sin of idolatry. Here's the first truth. Number one, Every family is in danger of idolatry. Every family. Why? Because we are all worshipers. We were created to worship. Therefore, we will worship something or someone. As birds were created to fly and as fish were created to swim, we were created to worship. It's what we do. The question for us is who or what will be the object of our worship? You see, if my family is not worshiping God, that means we are worshiping something or someone else. Because in our fallen nature, we are always creating a God to worship. Idolatry is not a unique sin to a group of people. You know, you'll find when you read through the Bible, there are certain sins that you study or read about that maybe you don't really struggle with. With idolatry, that's not the case. Actually, idolatry is the basis for all types of disobedience to God. It is something that every single believer is prone to fall into. It's been said that the human heart is an idol factory. 
R.C. Sproul said, idolatry is the most basic sin in the entire world. You see, the sin of idolatry is littered throughout the pages of Scripture. It, it is really scattered throughout the Bible. You will find a number of little g gods, won't you? Ashtaroth, Baal, Chemosh, Dagon, the Egyptian gods, the Babylonian gods. So this isn't a new sin. There's a reason the first two of the Ten Commandments deals with idolatry. Everyone worships something. Even if a person considers themselves an atheist or not to believe in any god, they're still a worshiper. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, every family is in danger of the sin of idolatry. Here's the second truth. Number two, an idol is anything that takes the place of God. We understand the obvious sin of idolatry. If I were to worship another god or some sort of false image, we would say, well, yeah, that's, that's idolatry. But idolatry goes much deeper than that. You see, in the Old Testament, idolatry was easy to recognize. If you read about the Israelites dancing around a golden calf, you'd say, well, that's, that's idolatry, right? You see, idolatry is still a danger to the people of God, although it isn't always so open or obvious. The truth is, if you dig deep enough into any home, you're bound to find a few idols. Idolatry is still a danger to God's people, yet today they're more subtle and difficult to detect. The reason is because they set themselves up in the hidden places of our heart. Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 3 speaks of this when he says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart. That's why idolatry is so dangerous because we don't need to build a statue in our homes and bow down and worship it in order to be idolaters. An idol can be anything that we substitute for God. So I ask you this evening, in your home, what idol is fighting for the throne of your heart? It could be entertainment, success, money. You don't have to have money to worship money. An idol can be a person, food, sex, social media, your phone, achievement, grades, sports, romance. It could be the family itself. So what is it? As I went through those, which one made your heart race a little bit? You don't have to go to heathen lands to find false gods. Often you just have to go to the Christian home in America. They're full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. And parents, be very careful because whatever idol you worship will likely become your children. So how do we know? what idol is fighting for the throne of our family. 
Ask yourself a few questions tonight. What takes the place of God in my life? Where do I find my confidence? Where do I get my joy? What am I putting my trust in? Here's a good one. What makes me really angry? It's been said anger usually erupts when an idol gets knocked off the shelf. How about this? Where does your mind effortlessly go when there is nothing else demanding your attention? What is the first thing you think about when you wake up? What keeps you up at night? Alan Redpath defined idolatry this way. He said, our God is the person we think is the most precious, for whom we would make the greatest sacrifice, who moves our hearts with the warmest love, He or it is the person who, if we lost him, would leave us desolate. Well, that definition really opens up the possibilities, doesn't it? Maybe you think, preacher, by that definition, anything could qualify as an idol. And that's exactly right. It is a terrifying fact that a family can attend church every Sunday and still be idolaters. Stick with me, all right? Uh, not too long ago, we went on vacation as a family. We went to the beach. I love getting in the ocean. I love swimming. Anybody else love swimming at the ocean? Or How many of you are like my wife where you'll go to the ocean for vacation, but you won't go past your ankles in the water? Is that all right? There, <laughs> there's quite a few of you. I was swimming out in the ocean, and uh, my kids were with me. They always have goggles. They want to find shells and try to dive and see things. And I thought, hey, I said to one of my kids, hey, let me see your goggles. I want to I wanna try them out. And uh, I went under the water. I thought, maybe I can see something. As soon as I went under the water, as soon as I did, I looked down, and there's a jellyfish floating right by my chest right here. I swam away, I came up, I took the goggles off, I said, here you can have them, and, uh, <laughs> and I went back to swimming. I stayed in the water, I just don't want to know, right? I know there's all kinds of stuff around me, I just don't want to know. I encourage you tonight, keep the goggles on. I believe that if your heart is softened, the Lord will bring light to an idol in your home. Is there anything in your life that if God asked you for it, you would say no? Anything but that. That might be your idol. The object of our worship, even though idolatrous, may not always be an evil object. The idol in your life might not be a sinful thing. Augustine wrote, we have often something called disordered love. It may be a legitimate object of love, but you have made it the chief object, and so it's out of order. Uh, It's been called, the love of God has been called a top-button issue. Explain that. Uh, every time I put on a you know shirt and tie, go to preach, or every Sunday morning, um, I always button from the top down. 
I don't know too many people who button from the bottom. Uh, Pastor Josh, when you put your shirt on, do you go top down or bottom up? Top down. And now maybe you're one of those unique people. You you go <laughs> go bottom up. I don't know, but I sometimes though, I'll get that top button out of place, and I won't realize it till I'm at the bottom that I'm all I'm all out of whack, right? I think I went to church like that one time, and nobody said anything to me. And I'm like, why didn't anybody, not even my own wife, you know, why didn't anybody say anything? You see, if you get that top button right, then everything else tends to fall in place. God has ordered our lives in such a way that devotion to him is the top button. If that relationship is in the right order, then you're going to find that every other relationship begins to fall in place. But if you're wrong on him, you'll get everything else wrong too. And so what may be a a good and beautiful thing from the Lord becomes an idol when you love it more than Christ. And often the problem is not that we want something, it's that we want it too much. You see, desire is not a bad thing. Passion is not a bad thing. It is when our our passion or our desire for something or someone becomes greater than our desire for God, then it moves into the realm of idolatry. There's a Christian book written years ago with the title, Who Changed the Price Tags? And in the book, the author tells a story about how he and a childhood friend one night decided to break into a a, a dime store. If you're not sure what a dime store is, it's kind of like a dollar store before inflation, all right? (laughs) Got it, young people over here, okay? Now, they they weren't going to rob the place. They just wanted to be mischievous. So they decided to switch the price tags around. Take the expensive price tags, put it on the cheap stuff. Take the cheap price tags and put it on the expensive stuff. They thought it would be hilarious the next day when, when the folks came into the store to try to buy something cheap and find out it's really expensive or the expensive items they'd get for pennies, and they thought that would be funny. And the point he made was this, that especially in America, in Christian families, this is what Satan has done. He switched the price tags on us. And now, oftentimes Christian families put all of their effort and their energy and time in things that will never matter in eternity. And when it comes to Christ and the church, we give pennies on the dollar. He switched the price tags. Whatever your heart clings to is your God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. Here's the third truth tonight. Idolatry is making God something he's not. You see, idolatry is not just bowing down before a rock or a graven image. Idolatry is making God out to be something that he's not. You remember back to uh, Exodus 32 when God called Moses to go up on the mount to receive the Ten Commandments, the two tables of stone, and he's there for 40 days. The people of Israel come to the conclusion, 
he's dead. <laughs> this guy is dead. He's been gone too long. There's been no email, no message. Joshua hadn't said anything. He hadn't come back. This guy is dead. So they say, make us a God that shall go before us. So Aaron takes a love offering of uh, gold earrings. He melts them down. And the Bible says that he fashioned a golden calf. Or in the words of Aaron, out came this golden calf. You remember he said that? Like, Aaron, who you fooling, right? You made that calf. And then Aaron proclaimed a feast to the Lord, to the golden calf. Of course, Moses comes down. He's mad. And, you know, it's something I kind of think about in that story. Just a side note. I think back to the burning bush where God called Moses and Moses gave all these excuses and I can't do it and I can't speak and who will I say sent me, they won't believe me. And from a human perspective on paper, it made a lot more sense just to send Aaron instead of Moses. He was already in Egypt. He didn't kill a person. And the Lord says Aaron spoke well. And so we look at that, and it's like, well, why didn't he just send Aaron? And then we're reminded the Lord looks upon the heart, not the outward appearance of a man. And this is what happened when Aaron was left in charge. He leads Israel into idolatry. Now, you might think, well, they weren't worshiping God. On the contrary, Exodus 32, verse 5, here's what it says. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital Jehovah. You see what they've done? They called the golden calf Jehovah. If you would have asked the Israelites, hey, who's this feast for? They would have said Jehovah. Look, it doesn't matter if they called him God or Lord or Jehovah or Jesus. If whatever God you are worshiping doesn't match this book, friend, it's an idol. Because idolatry is making God something that he's not. You see, I've heard people say things like this. Well, that's just kind of who God is to me. It doesn't matter who God is to you. Or to me, what matters is who God is. You don't get to make God who you want him to be, friend. That's not the Lord, that's an idol. We worship God in spirit and in truth. And there's sort of this big wave of, of people that are under the impression that you can separate Jesus from his word. And they'll say certain things like, well, I believe in Jesus, but just not the Bible. And what they really mean by that is, I like certain things about Jesus, but not everything about Jesus. Shane Pruitt said it's like they're worshiping a Plato Jesus. They mold him and shape him into what they want him to be, and then when he no longer appeases them, they just roll him back up into a ball and start over. See, the truth is, oftentimes, mankind doesn't want to be created in God's image. We would rather create God in our image. And that's not the real Jesus. That's an idol that you've called Jesus. Idolatry 
is making God out to be something that he's not. Here's the fourth truth, and I'm done. Don't get your hopes up. It's the longest truth, okay? Idolatry provokes God to jealousy. If you're still opened up to our passage in 1 Corinthians 10, look there again with me to the last verse that I read, verse 22. Paul asked the question, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He's talking about idolatry. And he says to the Corinthian church, are you trying to provoke God to jealousy? Now, where did the Apostle Paul get this idea that idolatry made God jealous? Well, if you rewind back to the Ten Commandments, years and years earlier, God told Moses what made him jealous. In Exodus 20, verse number 3, the Lord says to Moses, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. And then he says, For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. To worship the creation above the creator is no small sin. And we really can't understand how serious idolatry is without understanding the jealousy of God. Idols, they don't mind the company of other idols. Idols have no problem coexisting with one another. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, false gods patiently endure the existence of other false gods. Dagon can stand with Baal, and Baal with Ashtaroth. But because God is the only living and true God, Dagon must fall before his ark, and Baal must be broken, and Ashtaroth must be consumed with fire. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to make room for him in our home. He wants the entire house. He doesn't just want to be first place in our family. God wants to be the only one in the race. He doesn't want to be among what our family worships, but the only one our family worships because he is a jealous God and not in a petty way. God is not jealous of you. I don't have anything that God needs. He's not jealous of me, friend. He is jealous over you. And if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, he is jealous over you. One of our teens uh, came to me the other day, and he was kind of struggling with this idea, and he said, I don't really get it. How is God jealous over me? I said, as a husband is jealous over his bride. Not too long ago, I, I came home to discover a, a bouquet of flowers on my dining room table. 
Now, I had not bought my wife a bouquet of flowers, and I know she didn't buy herself a bouquet of flowers, so it really piqued my interest, and I said, honey, uh, where'd those flowers come from? And she said, oh, those are just because flowers, like I knew what just because flowers were. And I said, what do you mean just because flowers? And she said, well, I was at the store, and uh, when the flowers are starting to wilt, they give them away to people just because. And I said, well, who is they? And she said, they, the Kroger employee. And I said, was it a dude? She said, Nathan, stop. (laughs) And I said, was it a guy? And she said, it was a teenage boy who was working there. But they're, they're just because flowers. And I said, well, suppose I get in the car just because. And I drive down to Kroger just because and talk to this teenage boy just because. Then what? And she said, stop it, Nathan. So I threw away those flowers, and I bought my wife her own bouquet of flowers just because, right? And all the men said, amen, all right. Now, I'm being silly, and, uh, and uh, she knew it was all in good fun. But in seriousness, if another man was trying to steal the affection of my wife, Now, I'm not the strongest guy, and I have, you could say, T-Rex arms, all right? (laughs) But if someone is trying to steal the affection of my wife, then we're going to have problems. And you are not my friend. Why? If I didn't have any issue with that, you could hardly say that I loved her. Because love is always jealous of wandering affection. It would not be love if I didn't. Now God, in his righteous jealousy, will not tolerate the worship of any other so-called God. And that truth alone is good enough reason for us to flee from idolatry. Because if God did not care for his people, there would be no jealousy. But because the church is his bride, whenever we pursue other lovers, God loves the church so much that he is grieved. He wants an exclusive relationship with you and with your family. Isn't that reasonable of him to ask? Is that not fair? God is jealous over all that belongs to him. John Piper said that God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, and gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a queen. Isaiah 48, verse number 11, the Lord says, For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. You know what we're really doing when there are idols in our home? 
idols in our family. Idolatry steals the glory of God. When there are idols in our life, in essence, we are saying that something or someone else is worthy to share in the glory that belongs to God alone. You see, idolatry puts something else in the place of God. It seeks to replace God on his throne, but he will not share his throne with another. One Puritan writer said, It is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. I want to ask you this evening, the question is not, are there idols in your family? My question is, what idols are fighting for the throne of your home? You know, those idols, they won't die for your sins. They'll leave that to you. But we know that one God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. And if we put our faith in his son and the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, we will be saved and once we are his, he expects us to be his alone. So let us flee these idols. Tonight, resolve to be a family that gives him the glory alone. Only then will you be able to stand in a falling world. If the family will stand, then the idols must fall. Here in just a moment, our music team will come and we'll begin our invitation time. I want to invite you personally. Whether you're here by yourself or maybe you came with your family, whether or not your family comes or you're the only one to stand, I want to invite you to come tonight, take the idol off the throne of your heart and throw it down at this altar. Nobody else can see them. And yet there are idols in this room. Before you can ever say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, are you willing tonight to put away the gods that are among us? I'm going to invite you to come to pray as a family, as a couple, or as an individual. Maybe you want to come tonight and pray a simple prayer. The dearest idol I have known, whatever it may be, help me tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Mm -hmm.